Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 9. As many of you know, we've been taking a brief break from our series through 1 Corinthians, and we've been considering the mattership of stewardship in the church over the last two weeks. This morning, we are going to conclude that mini-series in regards to uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 9, uh, that we're going to look at this morning, and uh, we'll pray that the Lord will bless us as we do so. Join me before we hear the reading and preaching of God's Word. Join me once again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your Word as humble people. We pray for your Spirit's work in and through it in our hearts. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable through Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. Here now, the holy, the inspired, the inerrant, and infallible word of God, written for you and for me today. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Amen. Praise God for his word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, beloved in Christ, the living sovereign Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There is nothing that isn't his. In fact, he owns all, and according to his sovereign will, our God doesn't use his ownership at the complete deprivation of his people no, he is pleased to give bountiful, gracious gifts to men and women like you and me. He is the great, the gracious, and the good giver of all that we have. God being the owner and the giver are two truths that we need to keep readily in our minds and should shape our daily living. For the owner who gives is also the one who calls us to be good and faithful stewards of that which he has given to us. We are to use and manage what is his wisely and in accordance with his word. And this means that all of our possessions, resources, even our children as they are gifts from God and we are to be good stewards of them, even ourselves, we are to be mindful of all of this. But that is a challenge, isn't it? We often forget that we are stewards. Pridefully, sometimes naively, sometimes knowingly, 
using and misusing what we have been entrusted with. We really all need to check ourselves and ask, am I wasting my master's gifts? Am I scattering them in the wind? Am I squandering them? How easy it is to compromise against what we know is right for what we perceive to be relief in the moment. Like the unjust steward that we considered last week, in times when we think the owner isn't closely involved, in our flesh, it can be very tempting to take advantage of the situation. We saw last week how that was exactly what happened with the unjust steward. His master found out that the steward was wasting his possessions, and he confronted him, and he fired him. Out of pride and self-preservation, the then ex-steward took advantage and cut deals, reduced the bills of his previous master's debtors so that the ex-steward could make friends with them and one of them could hire him to serve sometime in the future. And what did the master do? He praised his ex-steward for his shrewdness, for his cleverness. Now remember two lessons that Jesus taught us there. One, we must be careful in how we use our worldly goods. We should use our perishable wealth or our mammon or our money in ways so that we have a good witness of Christ and support the work of the ministry. And secondly, we must also be mindful of serving our one master, Jesus Christ. If, you have, if all that you have and what you have is your master, then Christ can't be your master. But if Christ is your master, then what you have can't be your master. Christ has given us love and loyalty as wonderful gifts, and he calls us to love and loyalty that is exclusive to him. And so our master, who gives us all that we have and calls us to be good stewards, also calls us to be gracious givers as part of that stewardship. Let's learn more about this and, and see God's love of cheerful givers in verses 6 and 7. As well as, let's do some scriptural consideration for the giving of tithes and offerings as well as God's grace that abounds toward us in verses 8 and 9. Now, I know some of you, just mentioning that second point about tithes and offerings, you're already like, whoa, whoa watch out, Pastor. Uh, this is dangerous territory you're entering in here. No, it's, it's very good territory. Why? Because we need to consider what the Lord teaches us here from his word. And so look at verse 6. As we just read in, in the previous context, and if you consider the previous context of the first five verses of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul commended the saints in Corinth for what? For their willingness to minister to the needs of brothers and sisters in Macedonia with the financial gift. See how Paul's words and actions share his pastoral concern for the Corinthians' part and their desire to help encourage them in following through with what they committed to do. He wanted their yes to be yes. And such a charitable gift to come from a right motive and a right place in their hearts. 
Paul desired that they give out of generosity, not grudging obligation. And so what things are helpful and important to think through as we develop a healthy biblical understanding of giving, uh, of giving charitably? Well, as we read in verse 6, Paul begins by saying, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, many of you may be aware that the Word of Faith movement tends to take this verse, really the, even the broader passage, to promote their health and wealth gospel, or a spiritual get-rich-quick scheme. But that isn't what Paul's teaching here. And so what is he teaching? Keep in mind that Paul knew the, uh, the temptation to give out of grudging obligation as it tends to lead to practices such as giving something small to appease yourself that at least you gave, or giving well but in bitterness because you felt you had to. And so Paul is recalibrating the Corinthians lens in ours today on how we look at giving. He desired to keep their path and their duty clear in their minds, and so Paul uses a farming metaphor to lay the groundwork here, to teach a spiritual lesson. And his point is that a farmer who plants a small amount of seed will naturally yield a small amount of crop. However, a farmer who plants a large amount of seed will naturally yield a large crop. And this promise is also true spiritually. Those who give generously will reap abundantly for Christ's kingdom. Paul taught similarly to the churches in Galatia, in Galatians 6, 6 through 10. Galatians 6, 6 through 10. And beginning in verse 6, he says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And notice verse 8. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And therefore as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Notice. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so we see this sowing and reaping language here as well, same as what Paul is teaching Corinth in 2 Corinthians. But we also see special consideration. Right? Special consideration given to the minister in verse 6. Special consideration being given to the flock. That right? as we do good to all, let us be mindful especially of those who are of the household of faith. Think about it this way. What farmer goes to the field to sow his seed, counting each one of his seeds as they're going out? No, he, he sows generously and lavishly. He sows as much as he, he can. And therefore, also Christians in giving shouldn't be counting every penny, so to speak. But we should sow bountifully as we can. We don't 
count every penny as they go out. As Paul says, if we sow bountifully, we'll reap bountifully. And literally, the Greek word for bountifully, it means blessings. He who sows with blessings will reap with blessings. What is given is never lost. And as we give, Paul says that our heart needs to be in the right place. And we see more of why he says that in the next verse in 2 Corinthians 9. Turn back there with me. In verse 7, Paul says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now Paul doesn't demand a specific percentage in our giving in this verse, but rather he urges sincere, voluntary giving. As he purposes in his heart, he says, not grudgingly or of necessity. Again, a Christian shouldn't feel forced into giving. Nor should we give while still trying to hang on to our money. Moses spoke to are not being misers in Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 and 8. Beginning in verse 7, he said, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother. But you shall open your hand wide to him, and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, Whatever he needs. And so the question, and a good question then, is if we are to have such open-handedness and not tight-fistedness, the good question is why? Why? Well, Paul's answer is God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And in speaking about this in regards to our being members of the same body with various functions, Paul says in Romans 12.8, He who exhorts in exhortation, he who, notice, gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Our giving is something that we need to be mindful of. It isn't something that should take the back seat. It isn't something that we just think about every now and then. We need to think of it as a part of stewardship. We need to think of it as a part of stewardship. See how God delights in those who understand that they're stewards of his gifts and are joyful and glad to give back to him that which he requires. God delights in cheerful giving, beloved. And this should be motivation in and of itself for us to then give cheerfully. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we often think that and when it comes to money, especially in tight times, especially in times of trial and suffering, there can be lots of circumstances that are pushing and, and stretch and press. Right? But as we consider the stewardship of all that we have been given, and, and trying to be just and right and doing so, and hearing these very words that, what does God love here? God loves a cheerful giver. Then we must not be misers with our money. We need to give. 
And we need to give generously as we are able. And so if Paul doesn't, if Paul doesn't specify how much we should give in 2 Corinthians 9-7, what does Scripture teach and help us regarding what the Lord requires? We can give, and that's great. But does the Lord speak to you? this matter even further, and he does. Really, the center of the topic of stewardship is the tithe. The Hebrew word for tithe means tenth, and the Hebrew word for offering means contribution. And so the basic principle was that every person was to return one-tenth of his increase to the Lord, and this remains true for us today. Now, some of you may wonder, why did God institute the tithe in the first place? Dr. R.C. Sproul comments on this, and I think his comments are helpful. He instituted it in order to support the Levites, who had no tribal allocation of land. The Levites were set apart to take care of the spiritual and educational responsibilities of the nation, and their work and physical necessities were paid for by the tithe. We find that in Numbers chapter 18. Now, under the New Covenant, the tithe continues to support the work of building up people in the truth of God and reaching sinners with the gospel. Really, and primarily, the supporting the ministry of the church, which is where we find those things to be active and true. And so our cheerful giving to the church is then important. But if we withhold our tithe, does God care? Does he care? How, how does he look at that? Well, turn with me, if you would, to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. The last book of the Old Testament. We'll look at verses 8 through 10. 8 through 10. We read beginning in verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, God says. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You were cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So see a couple of things here in this passage. As the same truth that was proclaimed by God then is true for us today. We, we rob God when we don't give, when we don't tithe. These are God's words and how he sees this. And God through Malachi teaches us here that when we fail to tithe, we are not merely, merely robbing the church, the pastor, etc., we, we're, we're robbing God himself. But note that God had words not only of, of condemnation for the people, but also of promise. And that promise was of prosperity were they to change their ways. God challenged them to be faithful, didn't he? Giving his own promise that he would open the windows of heaven. And pour out blessings upon them. And so my friends, if, if we're to give then a tenth of our increase, what should we give off of? Should we give off the top? 
Should we give whatever is left over after we pay the bills? I think scripture teaches us that we should give off the top our first fruits. And how do we know this is true? Remember God's instructions to Israel about how they should bring their offerings in Leviticus 23, verses 9 and 10. There we read, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And we find both command and promise also in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, where we read, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. In verse 10, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And so we see here command and promise in both of these chapters, in both of these passages, don't we? And so if this is of what we should give, when should we cheerfully give our tithe? Well, we find the answer also in these passages that we've just considered. In Leviticus 23, Israel was to bring their first fruit offerings on the Sabbath as an act of worship to the priest. In Malachi chapter 3, some scholars believe that the storehouses where the tithes and offerings were to be brought to are the equivalent of the church in the New Testament. And though there is debate upon the subject of where and when, I believe the OPC Directory of Public Worship in our Book of Church Order is helpful here. It summarizes teaching of Scripture and guides us as it says in chapter 2.4a. The bringing of offerings in the public assembly of God's people on the Lord's Day is a solemn act of worship to Almighty God. The people of God are to set aside to Him the first fruits of their labors. In doing so, they should present themselves with thanksgiving as a living sacrifice to God. All should participate in this act of worship when God gives opportunity for it. Parents are to instruct and encourage their children by precept and example to give of their substance regularly, purposefully, generously, and joyfully to the Lord through His church. So it's a, a good summary. It's a good, it hits on many passages, many of which we've considered even this morning. And I think gives us some food for thought and guidance as to how we should consider and proceed with these things. But going back once again to 2 Corinthians 9, look at verses 8 and 9 where Paul continues to teach us about the wonderful grace of God that abounds toward us. In those verses, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, also having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has, he has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. My friends, God's grace is the cause of all goodness in us. And Paul is teaching us here some wonderful things as he points out, as he's just talked about, the cheerful giver, as he's just talked about giving 
even in the context as he talked about generosity and not grudging obligation. Do what you need to do with the right heart, Corinthians. He was encouraging them. I've sent brothers to you to help you in this, to support you in this, for it's right for you to do what you said you were going to do. And that's wonderful. But as you give, know and trust that God's grace will abound towards you. And he will provide you all sufficiency. God does not call us to give and then put us in the poorhouse as we give. Right? Because we gave. That's not what he's doing. In his grace, he provides sufficiency for every good work. He gives us what we need. He sustains us. He provides for us. And that's important to remember. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, we read, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. We need to be the ones who are scattering. And seeing the blessing of God and the provision and blessing of his people in giving increase. Even when we would think there is no way that that's possible. I'll leave you with this. Beloved, the living God owns everything. He has given you all that you have and he hasn't left you alone. Without instruction about his gifts. And how he wants them to be used. God calls you to be a faithful steward. And in this stewardship, he calls you to be a cheerful giver. Now, maybe you haven't considered this in this way. Maybe you've read this passage before, but the Spirit is at work in you, and you're seeing it afresh this morning. But see this. This is the delight of your Lord. What should please us? What should motivate us? It, what God desires and what God delights in should motivate us. And he so graciously reveals these things to us, right? He shows us where his love is. He shows us what his delight is in. He shows us what he desires. And so that even, even of itself, right? To see what our master loves should motivate us to do and to be what our master loves. So don't have a miserly death grip on what you have been given, especially your money. Don't rob God by withholding your tithes and offerings, but rather give with joy and gladness a tenth of your first fruits that your master requires. And like I said, sometimes it's hard to do this because we get nervous in difficult times. Especially in times of trial and suffering. Especially in times of persecution and oppression. Especially in times when inflation is going skyrocket. And it doesn't seem like that engine on that rocket is going to stop anytime soon. And we're seeing dollars leave our bank accounts and gas and money and utilities and rent and mortgages and taxes feels like we're bleeding. We're bleeding hard. 
But the word of God throughout generations has been the same, and it will continue to be the same. That the Lord has given you all of this. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to stop providing for you. So there's a huge element of trust that is needed here. Taking steps forward with faith and trust, following the call and the command of God. Doing what he calls trusting in his promises. That he will provide the grace. That he will provide all that we need. That all sufficiency truly will be ours in all good works. But also take joy. Take joy in doing this as an obedient servant like you do in other areas of your life. For honestly, too, it, it, when we deal with finances and we talk about money and maybe tithes and offerings to definitely fall into that. And when we talk about this subject, sometimes that strikes a little bit different of a chord in us than when we're talking about other things. But trusting God and resting in God's abundant grace and promises that he will care for you just as he has always cared for you. Giving what is sufficient for you and your needs and his true blessing of you and his promise to do that. I encourage you to think about these things today and think about the blessings of stewardship. Think about the blessings of serving in these ways and, and all others. Praise God for his word. Let's pray.